Hello, hello. You're listening to Disinfluencer, the podcast. I'm your host and founder, Simone. I created this podcast so we can have conversations with people about disability and business. I know, not two words you usually hear together, right? We're not here to inspire you. We're here to empower you and showcase what's possible so we can create a more inclusive world. I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hi, how are you going? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, can you hear me all right? Yeah. I'm in the car park at the shops and I just realised it's probably not the quietest place to go, but anyway, we'll see how we go. Yeah. All right, we're on recording. You ready? Yes, I am. Okay, so welcome to the podcast. You are Craig, my husband. <laughs> That's weird. Um, and we, this is our second time recording and I'm sitting in a car park and you're at home because I said I can't record with you in the same room because it's weird. <laughs> I, never, I never interview anyone in the same room and I, I don't even know how to use the video yet. So I just do this audio call and I thought we'll do it like this and see how we go. So... We're doing it. So let's go. Yeah. So um, originally we got you, I've always wanted you on the podcast. Um, as people will know that Josh has had a transplant our son and you were his donor. And it was all kind of, um, <clears throat> kind of came to the forefront, I guess, yes. when Dr. Shun retired and Dr. Shun was the first Australian paediatric transplant surgeon and he did josh's transplant but he didn't operate on you so um i just want to kick off with josh and his transplant and donating a kidney yeah like i know what that was like too noisy what are you doing hey hello start again I'll turn the fan. Do you want to start again? I'll, I'll turn the fan off. No, it's not the fan. You've got to keep still. When you move, you're scratching the mic. Okay, can we start again then? I'll just edit it out. It's fine. Okay, we'll start from Dr. Sean again. Okay, so Dr. Sean did Josh's transplant. So can we just, like, I know the process, but can you just talk us through the process of, like, we know Josh, Josh, we knew Josh needed a kidney transplant or we were told pretty much the day he was diagnosed when he was four month old so josh's disease um a transplant isn't a cure it's just a form of treatment and his disease um which i have to say up until 1987 they didn't know what it was um <clears throat> progresses to renal failure requiring a transplant and obviously they look for live donors, the mum and dad, I don't have the same blood type, so I was ruled out, but you did, and then you went through that process um, to see if you're a match. Now, even if you do remember, can you talk us a bit through what that was like and what you had to do? Um, well, basically, it's a lot of different doctors. You go through a multitude of things, ranging from many, many blood tests, you go through urine tests, you go through cardio tests and people wonder why you do that. And it's like, it's, it's all connected somehow. I don't really know, but you go and see a psychologist, you go and see 
everyone. Like, there's four, no, probably 10 different doctors and specialists you go see beforehand. And it all connects together at the end. So I guess what you're saying is, like, medically they're checking that you're actually in good health. Yeah. Um, and psychologically they do a lot of tests for the live donors because you could donate a kidney and it could fail and there would be, like, psychological ramifications for that. So they just want to make sure you're of sound mind. Yeah. And I guess um, from the medical point of view, what what they want to do is like they just don't put any kidney in willy-nilly like it has to be an exact match because it won't work it will fail it will reject so um and obviously you're his dad and you're a living person they don't want to put your health at risk and then they want to make sure that everything is perfect so you can do the transplants okay so you've done all that because i'm i'm going to say this is probably two Hello? All this happened. Hello, are you there? Yeah, I am. You're blocked out for a bit. Yeah, I got a notification. Yeah, so this is probably two years before transplant. So you do all that and then um, we got Josh's transplant date as well. And then Josh got really sick and went into renal failure and went on hemodialysis. That's another story. But then can we talk about probably the prep leading up to transplant and what you did? Okay, well, okay, well, at the time, I think it was nine months beforehand he went on hemo. Yep. So we're doing tag team at Westmead Hospital. You know, I'd got, drive up there for a week and, stay with Josh. Simone had come home for a week and Josh would have hemo four or five times a week at that stage. And, and you're talking, we're going back and forth from Wagga Wagga. Yes, yes. Going from, our, going from our our home. Yeah. Our, yeah. Which is about a 450k drive, so that's a good it's nine, a thousand k. Yeah, yeah good 900,000k round trip. Mm -hmm. I always say that year... We put 250,000 Ks on our car in a year and a half, doing yeah. double up driving in our car. Yes, because we yeah. only had one car. Did we only have one car? Yes, yeah. Did. And basically, yeah. it drove up, it drove back, and then yeah. four days later, it drove up and drove back yeah. for about a year and a half. Anyway, yeah. enough about the car. So. <laughs> yeah. I was there, and because I was there, it was really good. The doctors had come in and go, oh, we know you're here, Craig. Um, do you want to go and see Dr. X on Thursday at 2 o'clock? Like, Josh should be fine. So I'd go and see Dr. X and they'd do their little tests and I'd go and get a blood test. Everyone wants a blood test. <laughs> and then, the, then you go along and they come along and go, do you want to go get an ultrasound? So you go off and get an ultrasound. And all these things, they just keep, I guess it's to create a big picture of, they need. They just want to know absolutely everything about you so they can determine the best way to do this and if it's viable and if, like, some, like you said, if there's no adverse things that will happen to you afterwards. So you've got yeah, to be, fair. yeah. 
And you're talking, for those listening, what Craig's talking about is Westmead adults and children are next door to each other. Yeah. So he was, they're two teams from two different hospitals working together. So it'd be like a walk. There is a secret corridor that we'll talk about, but it's like going to appointments up at adults, which is like probably five, 10 minute walk, like down the road to adults um, and back and forth. But what I'm talking about, bees, all the, I'm talking about your diet and the treadmill. Oh, okay. All that stuff. Yeah. Well, I think. Talk about what the surgeon said to you about the operation. Well, my, my nephew, her name is Dr. Wong. A nephrologist he's talking about, yeah. Yeah. My nephew, um, Dr. Wong, and Dr. Sh- I met Dr. Shung also. And I was 85, or maybe even 80 to 85 kilos at the time. Dr. Shung said he wanted me to at 70, and I'd probably never been 70 kilos since I was probably 10. And Dr. Wong said about the same thing. She wanted me. She wanted me at about yeah seventy to seventy five kilos at the time because it's got not so much your health. It's it's got something to do with the fat around your kidney, and they don't they trim it like a basically like a piece of meat. They trim the and the less fat you have on your body, the less they have to handle the organ. Yeah. So there is a reason behind what they say. They don't just go. Oh, you know, you need to lose some weight. It, it's actually a science behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? Like, I just want, I guess, I know because I saw it, you were like on the treadmill every day, power walking, yeah. and you were literally just eating boiled vegetables. Yeah, well, um, yeah. being, it was, we, his transplant was in October and August, Wagga in winter is not, it's not the most coldest place, but it's not the most best place. And I, I remember I went and got this gym membership. I said, oh, yeah, I'll go do, do some gym, you know. And I got a cold. Then I went back and got another cold, like pretty much threw my card in the gym. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> like it was just like in the yeah. days, you know. So yeah. I went, I couldn't afford to do that anymore. So I my my cousin, he was the manager of Sportsman's Warehouse, or no, Rebel Sport, and he got me this treadmill. And so pretty much I'd always been a good runner and and um, and sort of a runner and sort of good at fitness sort of thing. So I just made up this little program in my head and I'd just come home from work and I would just walk, walk a K, run two Ks, walk a K, run two Ks. And I'd used to do that three or four times a week. And so pretty much I was running, I was running nine Ks and walking three toward, at, towards the end. Do and, you remember your weight, what your weight you got down to for transplant? What yeah, I was 71. You were seventy one, yeah. You were you were like fit. You weren't thin. You were fit, like yeah. Said, there was no fat. Yeah, it's not like and I, like you said, I all I ate was I didn't have white bread or sugar, and of course I don't. I'll probably 
alcohol consumption was next to zero as well for the sort of six months. So all that kind of, there was no, like people thought I was going to be on some special diet eating beans and that. It's like, no, it's just general health. There's no, you know, you can't eat some special carrot from the shop and some ginger from, you know, it's all general fitness that you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. So you do all that, you're all ready, you've done all your tests and then they do the pre-testing, I think probably six weeks out from transplant just to like triple check everything yeah. like you said. Um, and then you go in. So do you remember Do you remember transplant day at all? Yeah. Um, what do you remember? I Tell remember, it, like you said, about a week beforehand, I, I, I did this day where I was pretty much poked and prodded from seven in the morning until about five in the afternoon. I went to about 30 different people, like, again, and they were just, I don't know, double-checking their notes and making sure. So what are you talking about? I just want to kind of paint a picture for our listeners. So when you transplant a kidney, for example, what they're doing is they're checking, they do all these tests like the blood tests the urine tests they want to know your numbers but they're also looking at the insides like you've got to think of your plumbing like they were taking this organ out and they're connecting it and they're doing the same stuff to josh as well connecting it to josh so um people get like close to theater probably not anymore and they'll cancel the operation because the arteries aren't long enough and it won't connect so it's like They've got to check all these kind of intricate details. I didn't even know all these was thing were things yeah. possible until transplant. So that's kind of what you're talking about. They're like doing scans. Did they do the dye thing where they yeah. dye? like they do all that? They take so they're doing the imagery. So they're doing all the medical stuff. Make sure you're in good health. Make sure everything. Um, like they've kind of already done that testing, but they just do it all, all again. And then they're doing all this imagery, like they're doing scans because the surgeons have to remove your organ and then put it in Josh, but also, I don't know, patch up you as well. So it's yeah. a pretty, like it's it's called a nephrectomy, but it is a fairly, um, inv- uh, it's not necessarily invasive, but. Hello? Hello? Hello. Yeah, sorry, my phone rang. Yeah, yeah so I'll just take over. You keep talking. No, no, so that's all I was just saying. So, yeah, so we're transplant. Hello? Hello? Hello, my phone rang and we got disconnected. So we're at transplant. We're dropping you off at adults at seven in the morning for you to go into theatre. Do you remember all that? Yep. Um, Like Simone said, it's very connected. Like there's this big long hallway. So pretty much you can walk from one to the other. And I remember, I remember being dropped off by you, Josh, and your brother, Chris. He was there. Yep. And I'm sitting there in the, 
basically a waiting room. And, you know, there's various other people in there for various other things like, you know, just anything on the um, surgery list that day. Yep. You know, it's because it is a general hospital. They don't just do that. And basically they call your name and you get your a gown on and off you go. And, you okay, know, they go. They do me, the mute. Yeah. Sorry, go. What were you going to say? And the, it's the usual thing. They go, do you know why you're here? And then they read all the forms and they, you know, double check that they're doing the right side and all that stuff. And then you get do pushed. They really do that. Do they check they're doing the right side. Did you know yeah. what something they were doing? Was well, oh. I guess I'd be predetermined because well, of all the imaging they've done. They, they just mean? put everything on you, and there's just yeah, you know, they write on you, yeah, so they know what you know, yeah. So there's no miscommunication, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you go in, and that's it. So yeah. you had key—is it keyhole surgery? Yeah, but you did have it. You do have a big chunky cut. No, I have. Probably. That's a funny thing. When I wake up, I'm like, man, I get to look at my scar and it's like this little tiny, probably six, five to six centimetre cut where my yeah. belt line goes. And I had about five little snips all around my stomach where like um, the keyhole tools go in. Yeah. So I was kind of, sounds funny, but I was a little disappointed at the lack of big scar to show everyone. But that's just the way it is. Yeah, so um, you get dropped off and then we went and took Josh and I remembered, like you said, Josh had a big, um, Dr. Shun came and saw him and he drew all over Josh as well and he drew a line down the front of him. Yeah. Um, and then because Josh was only, he was about to turn five, he was pretty small, um, but he's like, you know, a toddler and... Um, Anyway, you're in and Josh is in. It was a pretty weird couple of hours for me, I can tell you. And then um, I got word that you were out and then I come, I couldn't find you. So I was like having a major panic attack because I couldn't find you anywhere. And then I did find you and you were off your face. It was hilarious. And then you met like the governor general, which was even more weird and random. What a random day. Yeah. And then um, we got word that Josh... Um, his operation didn't take as long. I think they said it'd take about seven hours and I think it only took five because Dr. Sean decided on the table after getting your kidney that he could do the hockey stick cut, which is down the side. So Josh's kidney was going to go in the front of his belly, but Dr. Sean got it in the side. So he changed the cut and then Josh did have a pretty gory cut, I guess. Oh, not really, but um, yeah, it was all a success. So Josh, you're out you're off your face. Josh is out. He was in ICU and they want to see the kidney producing urine, um, which it was. And he did, he did like a pretty, like 24 hours in ICU. And then he went um, back onto the, um, to Rose Ward. And I think, I don't know, when did you see Josh? Well. Do you remember seeing him? So I, like I said, I came out of theatre and, I just remember being, I seen you and you were there and then you and Chris went to Josh's 
like area and I was just laying there and I heard them heard them talking about Quentin Bryce and I'm like I thought I was dreaming and they're like oh they're talking about me they're like I'm not sure if he's able to talk and, and I'm like they are talking about me <laughs> and I woke up and they're like the, this nurse come along and goes are you able to talk to the governor general and I'm like <laughs> oh, like oh yeah <laughs> and it's like it's right. like I'm like, is she prepared to talk to me? <laughs> because it's like like you said, it's like I'm not the best talker in the world anyway. And <laughs> having me. Either they would think that someone just out of theatre, like they would know of all people that you'd be like off your head. Yeah. Like get you to speak to someone really important. And she, and, and she I don't, she was there to, uh, there was some nurse there that had done a certain amount of time or something and she was in the renal treatment center yeah it was art, yeah yeah oh yeah. no yeah whatever it was she was getting an award right and they were just giving a, a tour of the ward and i was kind of like the token sick person like <laughs> yeah and but it's in saying that, though, we have got the most beautiful, she wrote us the most beautiful handwritten letter. We've got it framed in our house. And she, oh, it's just so beautiful. Um, you know, she she talks about, you know, thanking you for meeting her and she followed up to make sure everyone was all right. Like, I just, I was, like, quite, like, yeah. I don't know how she got our address, but she did. Oh. Um, yeah, so it was really beautiful. So she's a GG. She's like the boss lady. but And she's beautiful. And we met her. We probably saw her a few years later too when she remembered us, which was really sweet. But I anyway. Think, yeah. I think that was about five years later when Josh was about 10. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But anyway, getting back to the story, like Josh, I was in the ward and I think for a day and a night. Yeah. And they, because I was connected to like uh, IV drugs still, I wasn't allowed to disconnect and go see him. So I had to be wheeled down there because, yeah, it's protocol with that sort of drug. You're not allowed, once you disconnect, you're not allowed to take it with you sort of thing. Yeah, but anyway. Once you stop it, yeah. Yeah. You're not allowed to have it again and it's like, it's pain relief. But, yeah, I think, personal, I think it so, was, yeah. The, I don't think it was the next afternoon, but it was the next, maybe, it was no more than two days because I got sick of being in there because, you know, being in a room with four or five people all snoring and yeah, groaning and moaning and it's like, and I didn't really like being in there, so I asked to be disconnected and so I could leave. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. So that was like, that's 2012. So that's 11 years ago. So he's 10 years post-transplant. So he's doing fine and you're doing fine. You have to do a pretty intense checkup every year. Go see the nephrologist. and I wouldn't. It's not really intense. I just take a urine test and a blood test and go see her for five minutes. Yeah. Just to make sure that it's, your kidney function's all right. Yeah. And in the usual, she says, doing fantastic. You need to lose some weight. See you next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll try. 
Yeah, so I just want to let our listeners know it's not like this anymore. So when you did that, <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not funny. You took holidays to <laughs> donate a kidney to your child. I believe now the Australian government will give you, you get like, I'm going to say parental leave. I don't know. There's uh, I, took, I took sick leave. Oh, you took sick leave? Yeah. But then... They gave me all my sick leave back. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, they were pretty good. But I think because um, you had you had six weeks off, didn't you? Did you? It was ages. Was it six weeks? Maybe four. Oh, I can't really remember. It was a lot. But I just like because it's school holidays now. And I'm asking this because I want to lead into what we're doing these school holidays. Um, I guess parents with kids that are, you know, sick, um, like spending your holidays I'm laughing but it's not funny but I know I'm a lot of people do it including us like you taking holidays to do all these appointments and I guess for me after all these years I now try not to do that and I do appointments not during school holidays and do appointments when it suits me obviously if he's sick I take him somewhere but you know um but yeah like a lot of parents are doing that so you're it's, uh, what is it, July, it's the winter holidays for school and you're on holidays now because you're taking Josh to kidney camp, which is so exciting. So yeah. um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yep. Well, kidney camp is a is basically a get-together for kids like Josh. Is it up to 18? Yeah, they have like, it's yeah. up to 18 and they also have like an 18 to yeah. 25 social well, program as well. Yeah. It's, it's the first time they've had it well, since COVID. So it's a real, it's usually annual, like every year. And it's usually on the Gold Coast or Brisbane or somewhere around there. Yeah. It's like four days where they have activities and fun and they usually throw in a like movie world or something at, at the same time. Yeah. Something really fun. Yeah, and it's actually the highlight of Josh's year when he finds out it's on. So he's really Sorry, excited that <laughs> he's, he's really excited after a three or four year hiatus that it's back on. Yeah, and um, so it's really important that we talk about kidney camp because kidney camp is um, it's free. Like we don't have to pay for anything. And I guess my point of view of it is. Um, Josh doesn't really get to go many places and doesn't really get invited to stuff. And then when we do stuff with our kidney fan bam, like they get it, you don't have to, especially his medication, like you don't have to worry about him, his medication not being given or given wrong or whatever, because they actually have teams of people and they have renal nurses and you know, there's kids yeah. that go that are on dialysis, so you don't have to worry about that. But Kidney Camp is funded by the Kidney Car Rally. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I'll just say it took us about three or four years of Josh going to Kidney Camp for us not to um, get a motel around the corner from Kidney Camp in case something went wrong. It took After a while, we figured that, hey, they got these guys are fantastic and know what they're doing. And then we didn't really, we got a motel further away. <laughs> but we still need to take him because we're in regional yeah. and Josh, like with his disabilities, um, you know, he can't. So you're travelling up to Brisbane with yeah. him, but you're taking like your holidays, but you kind of do get a little 
call it mini mini staycation in Brisbane. Yeah. It's really important that, um, especially now, a lot of people are really struggling financially with the craziness of inflation and interest rates and everything. But I just wanted to say that I also saw a post just today on Instagram about um, there's a camp quality, someone I know, um, their kids are going to a camp quality not a camp, but a day, and it's probably the first time in a long time they've had yeah, that. Look, there's a number of different, like kidney camp, and there's through kidney people and stuff, but there's the different sort of groups have their own sort of things, I guess. Like, Yeah, and they're really important because um, for the kids to be with their peers and also for the parents to be have their kids involved in groups um, where they don't have to explain or justify or anything. And where I was going with it, sorry, is about having, you know, when you see these charities asking for money, and I know it's a lot and it's tough times, but especially Kidney Health Australia, you know, they they fundraise through the Kidney Car Rally. And when you support that, like it's our kids, it's our Josh that gets to go on a camp for a couple of days in Brisbane and it's he is so excited it is he's like so over the moon and he will have the best time and it's for me um I usually go with him we kind of tag team but you're going up with him now and I can know like I don't have to stress or worry about him because he's his crew and it's all good yeah and we actually Josh and myself went on a kidney car rally probably about six or seven years ago. And we pretty we met all the cars and all the people and there's probably you'll never ever meet a best bunch of people in your life. Like they come from all walks of life, connected to the kidney fraternity or not. Like some of them are and some of them aren't, but some of them just want to get out there and do something. And they are, and and next. Okay, we got disconnected again. So, so we're talking about kidney camp stuff. So where was I up to? Um, talk about uh, when you and Josh went on the kidney car rally a yep. few years ago. That's what you're okay. talking about. So yeah, seven or eight years ago, me and Josh actually went on the kidney car rally. We didn't participate in the rally. We were we were a follower, like we just followed them from town to town and met them every night and that. And it was good for them. They got they all got to meet Josh and he was loving every minute of it. But yeah, yeah. we've never met a bunch of the best bunch of people you'll probably ever meet in one spot. Yeah. Whether they're connected to the kidney kidney fraternity or not, you know, they might have a friend or something that had kidney disease or they might themselves have there is people out there doing this rally that have absolutely no connection to it they just there's one they just want to get up out of their chair and help someone and do something fun and meet people and have a good time at the same time yeah they yeah. are a cool bunch and we saw we go like kidney health australia have a few days throughout the year like they'll have a trip to luna park and yeah we went to um gosh we would have been this time last year we went to sea world um yeah so they do heaps of good things and those um events 
that they, especially the rally, the rallies of fundraiser. And I guess another thing I wanted to kind of, you know, this is, I wanted to say this at the start, but I forgot. Up until Josh, like being diagnosed, you would never, like, I would never have known that a kid could have like a kidney disease. That's what I think when I wouldn't, some questions direct at me through people, you think, oh, that's, but that was me 17 years ago. I didn't know, you know, I thought it was something you got when you drank too much or you were in your 70s. Mm-hmm. But, yes. that, but that doesn't, yeah. yeah. And people ask me weird questions like that, but that's not ignorance. That's just like, that was me. Like, no one, it's like a bit yeah, of a mystery to everyone. Yeah, you wouldn't, you think hospitals like for your broken arm, but when you're yeah. in there, when you're long term in there, you're like, you know, there's the kids with cancer, the kids at liver clinic, like every, and our Josh has a genetic disease. So there's all these kids, you know, you've got genes for genes day. There's all these genetic diseases, which means like, well, it's genetic. So you and I, we don't have kidney disease as such but yeah it's a real eye-opener isn't it like you would never have known yeah people think it's like an old person's disease and I guess for kidneys as well you can be out functioning in the world um until you probably get to 10% function which is when you're probably close to starting dialysis you wouldn't know unless you had your creatinine checked or a blood test so that's why there's all those campaigns, like for everything, for your heart, for all the things, like that's why it's really important because early detection, oh, I shouldn't go on to about this, but it's imperative, like especially for kidney disease, like there's things you can do depending on the disease, but it's just about looking after your health um, and being aware of what yeah. your numbers are. Yeah, it, it's, it's right. It's not just a matter of drink more water. That'll fix it. It's a, a lot more technical than that. Yeah, and for um, organ donation, the live donor, a lot of people, like this might sound weird, but I remember like you can kind of see the dent in your body where you're missing. Your kidneys kind of sit above your hips in, in your back. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you can actually function with one kidney. They're like magical organs. But also when they do a liver transplant, they can cut. They don't, because you've only got one liver, you obviously need your liver, but they can cut a bit off and put it in and it will regrow. So Yeah, yeah, regenerate somehow. I'd... Yeah, like it's pretty phenomenal. And then I think, um, you know, when, when you like a, this is why organ donation is really important as well, because when, if you were on life support or something and you haven't discussed with your loved ones um, about donating an organ, like you're putting that decision in their hands and if they don't know your wishes, either if you do or you don't, it doesn't matter. But Yeah. But that's why back to that testing or in the movies, like they don't, they don't just give anyone an organ, but you hear this, you see the stories in the news all the time about some tragic person, like 
tragedy they died but then they donated their organs and you can hear all about you know what people got that might sound weird but sorry where i'm going with that is how um you know it's not just old sick people waiting for organs there's kids there's kids that need organs so yeah there's kids there's kids that will need organs known to need organs before they're even born like yeah like the pregnant mum gets sat down and said this will happen to your son or daughter yeah like before they're even born there yeah. and there's like I said there's the, the age ranges from minus zero to 90 you know and like your trend like our family's transplant mm. we were given the date two years in advance because it's a complete like logistical operation yeah hospitals two medical teams you know you can't just rock up to theater like it's all so organized and they even said to us like josh actually got really sick and was on hemodialysis but they didn't move his transplant because they can't just shuffle it around and if anything josh would have got bumped because i remember when we were in brisbane a young girl that she was in like a terrible car accident and she got a kidney like because her kidneys were like destroyed in this motor vehicle accident so whoever was um you know kind of lined up or people get bumped because that's those life or death situations kind of yeah take it's still precedence. it's it's still it's not a like it's not you, you're not there until you're actually laying there with a about to get a gas mask put on your nose like it can stop at any moment up until that point like if there's any reason whatsoever to pull the pin they sort of pull the pin yeah they don't they don't muck around they don't risk it and that's back to that kind of all that testing if something's changed they'll change so obviously a live donor we've been pretty good touch wood with josh um he's had hasn't really had any issues um and He's, you know, his kidney functions pretty much perfect. And, yeah, it's been, like, <laughs> been an eye-opener. I think even earlier this year, like, with our daughter, sometimes I'm like, I forget. I forget how hard it was with Josh. But you like to... But, yeah, that's what that's an interesting fact. It's like people often ask me how how do you handle Josh and how do you handle all that? And it's like, I never, up until we had Jet a few years ago, I never knew the opposite of that. It's like. What do you mean? Like. Being born premier? Oh, just like people used to say, how do you handle Josh and with all his stuff and all his appointments and all this stuff? And it's like, I don't really know because I never had a child that didn't, need that because yeah. he was our only child at the time it's our normal so you don't like yeah. i know it's not normal to like spend your holidays going to sydney to see doctors yeah. but i but i it's like because we've done it you know josh will be 16 this year so he had his transplant you know a couple of days before his fifth birthday and yeah. and it's also a, it's a good we've as a husband and wife i think we've because when Josh was diagnosed at a very young age, it's like we've we communicate a lot better via phone because we're so used to 
not being in the same spot. It's just one of our things we've developed out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Did you really think that? Well, that's interesting because I think. Yeah, it's. Yeah, like. Like I said, most people, most, some couples can barely be away from each other for a week and they'd have a heart attack. It's like I've probably spent, of the 16 years since Josh was born, probably, what, a third of that away from you? Maybe that's why we have survived. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) but. that that's evolved out of, that's evolved out of necessity because yeah we divide it's like home. it's like you it's like your turn you've got to go up there with Josh and I'll stay here and make sure the house doesn't burn down and next time it's like Craig it's your turn you've got well, to I've, do this I've by kind yourself of retired yeah. from Westmead and send you which yeah. is not for me because it gives – I'm all right going to Westmead, but I do kind of have some issues with Westmead. Um, and I just, like, it's nice to go, you know what, I'm not doing that because I've spent six years sitting yeah, there. Yeah, but it's, so. it's just the way it's panned out. It's like it's evolved out of necessity that I'm 400, 500 Ks away and you're in hospital with Josh. Sorry, I can't help you, you know. Yeah. Or ring me up, or I ring you up most of the time, more so, (laughs) and you figure it out for me over the phone, and that's it. That's that's sort of the way we work. Yeah, yeah, and I think I just want to tell our listeners to you, when Josh was diagnosed, again, I'm laughing, but it's not funny, we were pretty much sat down, weren't we? Remember that it was the psychiatrist we saw, um, who's like... You know, <laughs> you'll lose your house. You'll probably get divorced. You'll never go to work again. And he was pointing at me. He was right with that one. Um, but I just wanted to chuck that in because I think it's really important that we have these conversations because right now in 2023, there's people getting sat down at hospital, getting told that. And, you know, I know why they do that. They're very medical. They're very, they, they give you... It's not that they don't give you hope, but it's just like, like I get it. They have to be like that, it's, you know. They t- they tell you that so you're emotionally prepared for something that's they know that's going to happen because he's yeah, probably given that talk to yeah hundred two three hundred people since us. And yeah, yeah. Statistically, they know that because with the with the sick child become. Dr. Sean even said this, he goes, keep the family together. That's the best medicine. Yeah. He, he, this, this is a Dr. Sean thing off the current affair of 60 minutes. Sorry. He said, we need to get this family back together and back on track. Yeah. It's Josh had a transplant, but in effect, we all did. Yeah. Like he gave us Josh back and we're, we're able to have a family again. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the way Dr. Sean thinks. It's like it's, he's not just working on Josh, he's working on the Isles family. And that's what drives him to do his best, you know. He's got a family to think of, you know. Yeah. 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 That's really beautiful. I think we should wrap up with that. What do you reckon? Yeah. 
Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think it's, yeah, that's the kind of basics of it, but there's a lot of nitty-gritty that a lot of people would just kind of, like friends of ours would just nod their heads and kind of have a bit of a giggle at some of the stuff, but people that don't know that sort of scene would be, well, not horrified, but they'd be quite shocked at things we've seen, heard and done, which is just part of our life. Yeah, that, that I, I know what you mean. Yeah, like you wouldn't, like <clears throat> I could, we could tell people stories and they just wouldn't believe them, but they're true because you yeah. just think that that shit happens, but it does. But I think I wanted to have this conversation with you because I wanted to kind of shine a light on, you know, I think a lot of people get really fascinated <clears throat> um, about the transplant and the donor. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, no one talks about this stuff, so we're going to talk about it to, you know, educate people. People might be curious. They might not know what to say. And I guess what I was trying to, where I was trying to go with all this to wrap up is when Josh, we were living in Alice Springs when Josh was diagnosed and we went from there to Adelaide to Brisbane and then back to Wagga and now on the far south coast. But I remember I got Facebook when I was in Adelaide. It was 2007, yes. Yeah, eight maybe, yeah. And from that, um, I could be connected. And then when Jet was born, she was born micro-prem, as everyone knows, and I would Facebook every day as a kind of journal, which was very cathartic for me. And it's very – and then even for Josh, I had a blog for Josh because, you know, everyone wants to know everything, but it's just – like it's exhausting yeah. like like you said that daily nitty-gritty like I remember I used to track like when he had albumin and you know you'd have to track his fluid intake I actually th- burn it all I got rid of it because I did, wanted to like did you want me to talk did, would you like me to speak more about the jet part as part of the story as well all right while we're on it let's go okay so fast forward jet was sorry Josh was born in Wait, I just want to say something about Jet, right? It's Jet's birthday in three weeks. She's four. Yeah. So I often look at Jet and I know what you're going to He's say. Five. No, she'll be five in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But to think, like, even for you, right? You think of Jet and how she is. Like, she goes to daycare and she goes to preschool. Josh never did any of that and her body like jet will like headbutt you she's a powerhouse i love that about yeah. her. And it just i spin out sometimes because i think when josh was that age he was just a blob sitting in hospital having hemo that's that's what i was saying before it's like people often say how do i manage josh in that i'm just like i didn't realize half of what josh was until i had jet yeah. when she was about one or two and she was just so full of energy and just broke things and <laughs> me, like messed up everything and screamed and yelled and kicked and wouldn't go to bed and got out of bed really early. And I'm like, this kid's like out of control. And it's like, no, well, she's a normal kid. Normal. Yeah. It's like, God, I didn't realize kids could be like that because 
Josh was the exact opposite. The exact yeah, opposite of that. Josh, I think Josh walked when he was nearly three, but yeah, Josh was yeah. Josh was still beautiful and you know, but he didn't really talk and he was, you know, he was very sick. So his body, you know, his body was full of fluid and yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it, he was nasal gastric fed and, you know, pre-pandemic as well. Like how everyone lived in the pandemic is how we lived with him yeah. when he was little. And, you know, he ended up with pneumonia and was airlifted to hospital and that, that put him in instant renal failure. So we were kind of being very precious with him um, so he wouldn't get sick and he ended up getting sick as, you know, all little kids yeah. do. But he wasn't going out and about anywhere, so it was just like, but yeah, Jets, yeah, talk about Jet. So, so. We'll, we'll fast forward. Well, she's five in a couple of weeks. She was born at what twenty four and point twenty five weeks, yeah. three days. Yeah. So, yeah, she was. Simone was up in Canberra, and she was told, "You're not no, leaving." Wait. wait, I was coming back. I was. I had just taken Josh to Westmead to clinic. It was the school holidays, the winter yeah. school holidays. And then I was going because I was 42 and a geriatric mother, pregnant lady. I had to go. Yeah. I was in like special care. Um, I can't even remember what fetal medicine unit or something special. Tre- I don't know something anyway. So I went to that appointment on my way home. I had Josh with me and yeah, go keep going. Yeah, so basically, I'm the short of the, so the short it is now, but the short of it is, they you're not going home, Simone. And so, heroes with Josh, yeah. And I remember, fast forward a few weeks later, she was born. She was in this little humidity crib, and she was like the size of a Red Bull can. Yeah, it was. And basically, she was the smallest premier you could probably possibly have without not being a baby at all. Like, the success rate, even a week or two before that's not very good. But anyway, I remember going up there and, you know, the lady coming out and, and like, the psychiatrist and that coming out to me. And I'm like, oh, here's the... Here's the... I just remember thinking, here's the goon squad. Like, I know what they're going to tell me. Yeah, it's your first radio. It's like yeah. they sat me down like they were going to give me some horrific news. And I'm like, okay, yep. And I said, look, and Josh was with me. I'm like, he's, he's spent over a 1,000 admissions in Westmead in various other hospitals and that. And then, like, I said, can you just, it's okay. <laughs> and they're yeah. kind of like, they were shocked at that. And I just remember walking in, the lady's like, oh, how are you going? And I'm like, I wouldn't want a coffee yet. And she goes, pretty much, yeah, whatever. I I, I know you know what you're doing. And she just sent me to the parents' room to get a coffee. <laughs> and that was that was pretty much it. Because they knew that they knew that we knew how it works. But and I guess like, yeah. like in hindsight. NICU, so for me, like it was, it was a big shock, but I did a lot of work, but I guess I just kind of like, again, 
you think how could a baby be born at 25 weeks right but i was in a room like the nikki was full of babies of 25 weeks yeah you know? like it's like so it becomes it's not that it's normal but it's like you wouldn't like you know and anyone who's had a, like a micro prem will know like it's again just something you don't know or yeah until but, you're in NICU and then, you know, the people that are in NICU. So Jet was in NICU pretty much till she came home. So like nearly eight months. That was, she went over to special care for about a week or so, but we went back to NICU. She, that's another story. But um, she was, um, yeah, like the nurses in NICU, like, you know, it's a whole different world. Like they the are way, phenomenal. They the have way phenomenal I could, care. Yeah. The way I could describe the high care NICU nurses are just they're they're like special forces. They're like they're like ridiculously good at what they're doing. Yeah. Aren't they? Like they're they're on another level. Like I've met yeah. thousands of nurses and I've met hundreds of thousands of really hot like really, really good at their job know what they're doing but these NICU nurses were like special yeah. forces nurses they were like kind of unbelievable yeah and, they yeah. were like highly trained and yeah. very there was no I just remember like it's weird now again post pandemic like all the hand washing like and all the sanitizer so I just remember you'd sit in there and they'd everything they'd be doing things and everything they'd do they'd like sanitize their hands. Yeah. So this is before the pandemic, right? And even when you went into Nikki, you had to go to like the washing bay and like have it like scrub your hands as well. Get get the lesson first. Yeah, you got a lesson on how to wash your hands, and I just think I just remember during the pandemic, especially when they stopped transplants and only allowing one people one person into hospital. I just my heart broke for all these Yeah. People then, in Nikki like fuck it would have been horrible to but it, but it was but I remember going in and out of that room, right? And I walked out of there one day and there's this lady there. It's a locked room. You have to get a you have to buzz yeah, and like the matron thing to get in, yeah. The head of the ward goes, Who are you? What are you there for? And you say, Craig, you know, father of Jet and you're accepted. I walked out there once and there was this like lady there and she's like, oh my God, thank you. I've been buzzing for 30 minutes and no one's answered and said, I'm the grandmother. And I'm like, I slammed the door behind me and said, you can't go in there. She was like, oh, I'm a grandmother. And I'm like, they're not letting you in. You're not allowed to go in. It's simple. Yeah. Like, and apparently she'd been trying to get, get in and like, they thanked me for not letting her in because yeah. They weren't letting anyone in but fathers and mothers. Yeah. And that's yeah. not for to have too many people in there. It's like there's eight to ten high-risk babies in there. It's, yeah. It's on a need-to-know basis. Like yeah. if you need to be in there, you can come in. Yeah. yeah. And it's just the, the way that ward, the way yeah. that ward works is like, it's it's a special forces. It's, it's a funny word, but it's a special forces kind of unit. It's like there's no there's no like compromise. It's like 
that's the rule and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenally strict and the nurses are fantastic. A bit more than fantastic, I think. It's fantastic, so not really a good word. Yeah, they were amazing and, yeah, and that was another, what was that, eight months you were here, like Canberra, you were here on the far south coast, that was another divide and conquer and you were at home with Josh and I just stayed up there with her. Yeah, it's like here we go again. It's like tag team, (laughs) tag team, drive up, drive down. At least it was only a two and a half hour drive this time. So only five hour round trip. So now, right? Now yeah. that we're having this conversation about both of them, like, so how do you feel now? Does it feel surreal to you or is it just like, it's just normal to me? Like there's still things that's I, whatever, but. Like I said before, it's like, I don't know the difference. Yeah. Maybe if, if we had a third child that was, you know, the worst thing that happened to him was his tooth fell out or something, but I've never had a child that, hasn't required anything like that. Yeah. I've never, yeah. I think I'm a bit thick-skinned and when I... How does it change you? Yeah, talk about that. Like when... Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's like I'm really thick-skinned, not to say I'm like emotionally blunt, but it's like whether I'm at work or, you know, friends or family or something talk about, oh, you know, they had to do this or that and spend, go up to Canberra for an appointment. I'm like, oh, that's, that's terrible. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I don't, yeah. I'm the same. I'm like, I, people think I'm, I'm not, I'm not blunt, but I like the way I explain it is I have very little sympathy. Like, don't tell me a sob story because I could like outdo you by a bazillion. But But I have a lot of empathy. Yeah. It's not like that. It's not like, well, I've done, that 50 right. times before yeah. it's like it's like yeah that's doesn't really register a little flip yeah, on my take yeah. on people's like problems and drama and emotional yeah. stuff because you've got your own shit to like worry about yeah it's like yeah and it's like people ask you know like jets glasses for example and it's like Explained to him like she was preemie and exposed to oxygen in the humidity crib, and that's not it's good for her lungs, but it's bad for her eyes. So that's why her glasses she had glasses at a very, very young age because they knew what was happening. But yeah. that's let's talk about her glasses, right? Because she She's so good with her glasses. I'm surprised because I she knows now that she can't see without them. But she's that's right. Yeah, she looks after them. They are the most expensive glasses on the planet. We've yeah, you say pairs, you say but... she looks after them, but we tell everyone how many pairs we went through in her age two to four. Yeah, About a pair every month. Yeah, she <laughs> through. But we, we had so Tim at the optometrist on speed dial. Yeah, they would have loved <laughs> us as customers. They're like, here they come, ka-ching. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> it's like one of the senses, like, without those glasses, she barely sees a foot in front of her. Yeah. It's just and a blur. She's and she's yeah. like, 
she puts her glasses down and when she gets up that she'll like go like get her glasses and put her glasses on it's one of the first things she'll do now so so yeah, yeah. and she's pretty like for someone that was like a a Red Bull can 780 grams she was um she's pretty feisty and I like that about her and I like that she's um she can be a bit rough with Josh but that's like I said that she's feisty and and just wants to jump around and play and climb over people but that's what every kid does but it's like Josh we're used to Josh not never doing that so it's like all new to us yeah. A child that wants All right, well, we've been talking for ages kids. and I have to go into the shop. So this is a good chat. Yeah, Thank we'll... you. Yeah, no problem. Well, we'll I'll get you back on the pod another day. Through. Yeah. Are you going to send me a headshot for my Instagram tile? <laughs> um, I've got a head for radio, so. It's ringing. I'll call you back. Okay, bye. Okay. Bye. Thank bye. you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Did you enjoy the podcast? If you did, make sure you leave us a review or share it with your friends or do a screenshot and tag us on Instagram. We'd love to see our listeners and get some feedback and tell us what you think. Until next time.